Welcome to the Restoration Church Podcast. To learn more about our church, give, share a prayer request, or access our weekly worship guide, visit us at www.restorationlex.com slash this week. And I just want to encourage you for a few minutes from the book of James, which is the series we're in. Last week we started it talking about wisdom, how wisdom is lived humble reality. It is boots on the ground faith. And if we're growing in wisdom, it always means we're growing in love. And James chapter two, what we just heard really gets into what that means, that wisdom means that we are growing in love. I want to focus in on James chapter two, verse one here just briefly this morning. Look with me here again on the screen. It says, my brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. And then he goes on to give a picture of what this favoritism is, this rich man and this poor man in rags, and how he is treated like a second-class citizen in the kingdom of God. Now, this word favoritism in the Greek, it literally means receiving the face, which sounds admittedly very weird, but it, what it's giving us a picture of is something that we're all guilty of from time to time, and that is judging someone by their exterior by their appearance, by our perceptions outwardly of who they are. The picture James gives is this rich man who is dressed well, a poor man who is in rags, and it says that the rich man gets the best seat in the house. Now, this is first century church, so they're probably meeting in a house or a courtyard of a larger gathering space like that. So it's not like the rich man is getting the the front row seat, the front pew. He's getting the the best seat at the table. And when it says that the poor man doesn't get a seat, he literally doesn't get a seat. It says he either stands or he's sitting at the feet. He is treated like a second-class citizen. There is literally no room at the table for him. This is a passage about privilege and access. Notice here, both options for the poor man... He doesn't even have a seat. He's in the same room, but he does not have a place at the table. There's a big difference. That word there in verse 4, too, where it talks about how we are discriminating. In the Greek, it literally means to divide or to separate. Another word that James speaks of here that, that really calls our attention to a modern idea, a modern word we call bias. And that's a great resource that I actually put in our home church guide this week, uh, from the Smithsonian Institute, several scientists and psychologists talking about how a bias works. It gives four phases of how we build bias in our lives. The first one is familiarity, which is who I know. And they tell us how studies have found that, that newborns, within the first few hours, they're already uh, wanting to hear the language that they heard at the very beginning, the language they heard in the womb, that's who they're looking for. Second, in the toddler years, we have similarity, meaning who is like me? Who, who shares these similar outward characteristics? Third, as we move into kid, uh, kid time, into adolescence, there's belonging. Who we are, who is us, and who is then? Who is in? Who is out? And finally, as we grow into adulthood, there's this idea of confirming bias, confirmation bias. We, we see what we expect. Over time, we build these ideas in our head. We look for the patterns that already reinforce our ideas about uh, people, about uh, ideologies, about beliefs. We're, we're forming in our minds these patterns that, that teach us to see things 
the way we want to see them. And the scientists point out that whether we know it or not, the more these confirmation biases begin to take shape in us, the more we live into them, the more deeply ingrained they become in our minds. So we have to realize that on our own, apart from God, the church can be a place where we continue to uphold these differences, these biases that we have. We can get in and uphold the walls that we put between us if we do not challenge these perceptions. If we do not challenge these biases, we continue to uphold them and not tear them down. But the gospel, it speaks directly to this. It speaks to the walls that we like to put up between one another based upon our differences. Ephesians 2 says that for he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his own flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Now, does this mean we have to minimize or even erase our differences for there to be peace, for the hostility to end? Not at all. We've talked about this. The Holy Spirit empowers our differences. We, he, we're, we're seeking oneness and not sameness. We want to be one, but that doesn't mean we all have to be the same. Now, also, does that mean that we have no healthy boundaries in a community? Not at all. There are healthy boundaries in any healthy organization. There are the essentials of our faith that we cling to that center us around Jesus. There's, there's character requirements in leadership that are massively important. But in those distinctions, I believe what James is telling us, even in that, we do not create spiritual or social or economic hierarchies that see some people in our community on the outside looking in, which is why he continues later on here in verse 12. He says, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that give, gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. And these words, I love these words, mercy triumphs over judgment. Now, those are some pretty astounding, but also very sobering words here from, from James. I mean, let's be clear what judgment actually means. One of those words that's often misconstrued. One of the most quoted scriptures in the Bible is Jesus saying, do not judge. We love to bring that up when we do something that people don't like. We say, well, Jesus says, do not judge, as if that's kind of the get out of jail free card. But that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not saying that we should not have ideas of what is right and wrong. Jesus tells us, do not Judge, but he's not saying to us, do not discern, do not discern what is right and what is wrong. He's not saying that we can't have discernment or an understanding of what is good and what is not good, of what is right and what is wrong. What he is saying is that Jesus understands judgment is our ability, our propensity to stand over others in spiritual superiority. That's what judgment is to Jesus. All of us discern what is right and wrong. But in discerning what is right and wrong, do we stand in spiritual social, economic superiority over those who are different from us? That's the question that Jesus is asking, and that's the question that James is asking. That's a sober warning that we are capable, even in good doctrine, 
even in right belief of standing in superiority, spiritual superiority over others. And if we persist in this, James says that we will be judged, that we will not receive the mercy that we refuse to give others because judgment is coming our way. Because James reminds us, James warns us, James encourages us that mercy, mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy is one of those churchy words that we probably say a lot and even sing, but sometimes we don't really know what it means. Here's how I define it. Mercy is the posture and presence of compassion and kindness towards the weak, the weary, the wandering, and the lost. It is a posture because it's something that forms over time because we continue to do it. Our muscle memory, like we talked about last week, we do it over and over again. We become more merciful as we develop this posture towards others. But it's also a presence because it's not just a hypothetical idea. Mercy is something that meets people where they actually are. It's what we see in the character of God. Ephesians 2 says that God is rich in mercy, meaning mercy is not running out. There's not a scarcity of mercy with God. There is an abundance of mercy with God. In fact, it says in one of my favorite verses in the scriptures, Lamentations chapter 3, that the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I hope you see that. The scriptures are saying that God's mercy is so abundant so endless in its movement towards us that there are mercies that are there for you today that weren't there yesterday and won't be there tomorrow because God has enough mercy to go around that today's are just for today. God does not run out of mercy. God does not stop pursuing us with his mercy because we are the weak. We are the weary, we are the wandering, and we are the lost. And when we receive the mercy of God, we have the mercy of God to offer and to give to others. And that's how mercy triumphs over judgment. So if this is true, if God really has an abundance of mercy, talking about how this works ground level in a church like ours, how we can live into the mercy and it can triumph over judgment. One of the questions I've been asking this moment, this week is I'm thinking through, praying through this message is how do we measure our collective ability to welcome and love our neighbors? Because I think when we talk about mercy triumphing over judgment, we need to understand this is a group project. You don't have to learn how to, how to grow in mercy on your own. You just don't. Mercy happens because you encounter mercy, you receive and you give mercy in light of community. It means that we make a place at the table for those who are different from us. It means that we save a seat for people who may not agree with us on every issue. It's recognizing in the Gospels that Jesus washed the feet and set the table for Judas, who was about to betray him. And so if Jesus can make a, a seat, if he can wash the feet of Jesus, Judas, then maybe, maybe just us, maybe we can welcome and make a place at the table for those who stand on the opposite side of the dividing lines that the world has given us because we are, the, we are those in Jesus Christ who break down the walls of hostility between us by building longer tables, by making a place at the table for those who are not like us. That is what the kingdom of God is like, and that is how mercy triumphs 
over judgment. I want to talk about just here as we close real quickly four guiding truths for each one of us because it, we can talk about how this works in our church, but really it has to start in us. These are four truths that I, I believe are true of every single one of us that I want us to ponder this week, maybe talk about it in our home churches. The first one's this, is that my perception of others is not always reality. That's true for all of us. I have layers of bias. I have layers of experiences and perceptions. You do too about people that can, on its own, without the Holy Spirit, it can cloud and cause me to misjudge the people who enter into the fellowship, the family of God. And so I have to be aware of that. Secondly, I need the mercy of God at least as much as those I'm tempted to judge. My friends, this is the gospel The ground at the foot of the cross is level. We come equally in need of the grace and mercy of God. You will never look and see a person who needs God more than you do. Let that truth anchor you. Third, it's okay to be uncomfortable. The longer you are in community with people who are not looking like you and thinking like you and voting like you and acting like you and living like you, the more At times, you're going to find yourself in uncomfortable places, but that's not a sign that God is not there. In fact, I would argue that that's the very place in which the Holy Spirit can break down walls when we are willing to enter into the discomfort of community with people who are not like us. When we enter into the discomfort of saving a place beside us at the table for someone who may not be like us. And finally, The fourth truth is that mercy grows best in the soil of community. I need the family of God to grow in the mercy of God. I need the family of God to give the mercy I receive, and I need the mercy of God from you, from one another. That's how the church works. We have so often failed at being a community of mercy And it starts with the fact that we are so empty ourselves of receiving and seeing our own need for God's mercy in our weakness and weariness and wandering. And so my prayer as we close today and move into a time of communion is two things. You would receive and see afresh your need for the mercy of God. And he would see that that mercy is in abundance, fresh, anew for you today. At your worst, the mercy of God is pursuing you. It will triumph over judgment, not just in communities. It triumphs over judgment in your life. It is triumphing over judgment in my own life. Today is a day we can celebrate and sing the mercy of God for us. And secondly, secondly, we have an opportunity this week to offer mercy in places of judgment. If you're listening and hearing this today and you're thinking, you know what, there are people that I'm bringing about judgment. There are people that I'm standing over in spiritual superiority. There are people that if they walked in the door of this church today, I would probably look twice because I am judging them on the outside. It doesn't have to be a poor person in rags. It can be a person with a certain kind of lifestyle, a certain kind of voting record. It makes you think twice about whether or not you want to make a place at the table for them. Jesus is saying, receive the mercy I've given you in your need, in your weary and wandering lostness. And in that, would you offer mercy to one another and be the family of God? Let's pray. Father, thank you 
Thank you for your mercy. Your word says in Romans 12, in view of that mercy, we offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to you. This is our spiritual act of worship. It's more than just a song. And so God, uh, let us see afresh this mercy that you have for us today. Let us see afresh the goodness that you have for us today. And God, where we have been in judgment, we repent. Where we have led our bias and our our perceptions and our misjudgments guide the way we treat others. Lord, would you bring us to a place of, of gracious repentance that we may change and be more like you, Jesus. You met us in our weakness and weariness and wandering, and you tore down the wall of hostility between us and you so that we could tear down the walls of hostility between one another. Empower us for that here today in the name of Jesus. We pray that. Amen. Love you guys. I will see you next week. Let's celebrate communion together and worship as a family.